RTHK News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Todd Harding. Tonight's headlines. The passing of national security legislation is now imminent. Beijing announces visa restrictions against certain US individuals and a teenager is jailed for two years and eight months for possessing petrol bombs. The National People's Congress Standing Committee is widely expected to endorse national security legislation for Hong Kong at the end of its three-day meeting in Beijing tomorrow. State media said a resolution of the revised national security law is now ready to be voted on. RTHK understands that once the bill is passed, it will be signed by President Xi Jinping for it to be promulgated, and the Basic Law Committee will discuss adding it to Annex 3 of the Basic Law. It aims to outlaw secession, subversion, terrorism and collusion with foreign forces. But details of the draft are still not available yet, raising jitters here in Hong Kong. While there have been reports anyone found guilty faces a maximum sentence of life imprisonment, it's not clear yet what the penalty is for the different offences. The vice chairwoman of the Bar Association, Anita Yip, stressed the need for greater transparency and clarity. We, at the very least, demand to be told the rationale um, underlying this. Because, you see, those who seem to be privy to the contents of the um, legislation appear to have thrown different numbers at us. I think at the first instance, it was said that it should be three to five years. And then I think it was then revised to five to ten years. And all of a sudden, it seems like something plucked out from the air that it said, oh, it's now from ten years to life imprisonment. I mean, I never said what's reasonable or what's unreasonable. How can I say that when I don't even know what, what's being legislated? There are also concerns that Hong Kong defendants linked to serious national security cases would be taken to the mainland for trial and possibly sentenced to death there. Here's Executive Counselor and Senior Counsel Ronnie Tong. My understanding is that in the very rare situation where the Hong Kong courts and the SL government cannot deal with the offences involved, then the criminal court on the mainland would apply. That means that, uh, you know, the matter would be tried according to the criminal law on the mainland. It would involve, you know, death sentences. But I, I do hope that the, the law, the national security law, when it comes out, would make it clear that no death sentences would be dished out to uh, Hong Kong defendants. Beijing says it's going to impose visa restrictions on some U.S. individuals over their behaviour regarding Hong Kong. Tom McElinden has details. The announcement by Beijing comes a few days after U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said Washington will restrict visas for a number of Chinese officials, accusing them of eviscerating Hong Kong's freedoms through the planned national security law. Foreign Ministry spokesman Zhao Lejian says the U.S. scheme to obstruct the passage of the law will never prevail. He says to target Washington's wrongful actions, Beijing's decided to impose visa restrictions against American individuals who've behaved egregiously on matters concerning Hong Kong. As well as the US, Britain, the European Union and the United Nations Rights Watchdog have all voiced fears that Hong Kong's new law could be used to stifle criticism of Beijing, pointing to how similar laws are used on the mainland to crush dissent. A teenager has been jailed for two years and eight months after being caught with petrol bombs. He was among a group of anti-government protesters arrested in Tun Mun last November. Maggie Ho reports. Student Chen Kuo-Cheng, who's 17, was carrying three petrol bombs and substances said to be able to make another 20 or so when he was stopped by police on November the 10th last year. 
He pleaded guilty at the district court to possessing items with the intent to destroy or damage property. The teenager also had three octopus cards on him, which the prosecution said were to hide details of his travels around the city. The defense pleaded for leniency given the student's young age and asked for him to be sent to a detention center for rehabilitation. But Judge Amanda Woodcock said the teenager's behavior made him a criminal, not a protester, and he cannot be allowed to use his youth to his advantage. She said Chan had acted with the utmost contempt and disdain for law and order, rejecting his claim to have acted on impulse and out of ignorance. The judge said he had crossed the line that protects public order, beyond which society is prone to descend into anarchy. She also ordered the teenager to see a psychologist regularly while serving his prison term to learn to think about the consequences of his actions and how to make good decisions. You're listening to RTHK. The time is exactly five minutes past 11. The police will make their presence felt on Wednesday on the SAR's 23rd handover anniversary. Vicky Wong tells us more. The police have denied permission for the pro-democracy march that usually takes place on July the 1st, citing the pandemic and a risk of violence. But there are calls for online anti-government protesters to turn out anyway. Wednesday is also tipped by many as the day Beijing will enact its national security legislation for the territory. Sources say police will have between 3,000 and 4,000 officers on duty. Various roads on Hong Kong Island have already been closed ahead of the July the 1st flag-raising ceremony in Bohemia Square. An exit of the central Wan Chai bypass is among the routes closed to traffic, with taxi stands moved and changes made to a small number of bus services. Transport officials warn they expect significant traffic congestion in the Wan Chai North area. And the LegCo complex will be closed from 8pm tomorrow until Thursday morning. Anti-government demonstrators stormed the complex on July the 1st last year. It's now been revealed that more passengers are being stranded at the airport while pandemic travel restrictions are in place. One of them has been there since March, as Timmy Sung reports. The problem of passengers spending days wandering around Chelapko was highlighted recently when almost a dozen people flew in from Dubai, only to find they couldn't transit to the mainland as planned. One agreed to return to Dubai, one reportedly ended up in hospital with COVID symptoms, and the rest were eventually sent to quarantine centres. But other passengers are still living in the airport, including one who arrived on a Cafe Pacific flight from Canada, all the way back in March. The passenger was hoping to fly on to Vietnam, but the country had closed its borders. The Vietnamese passenger is said to be refusing to leave the airport and wants to get on the first flight that sets off to their homeland. The airport authority says it was notified about a passenger who arrived on a British Airways flight earlier this month, intending to go to the mainland. She isn't allowed to, but has turned down an offer from BA to return to the UK and is still at Chenlap Kok. Authorities say the airline failed to comply with regulations when they flew her here. The Centre for Health Protection says he has worked with the airport authority to establish procedures to deal with stranded passengers. Officials have collected saliva samples from six of them for COVID-19 tests. All the results came back negative. There's been no local COVID-19 infections for 16 days in a row now. The Centre for Health Protection did report four new imported cases today, including three female domestic helpers who flew in from the Philippines yesterday. The fourth patient is a 23-year-old student who returned to Hong Kong from the UK two weeks ago. The latest cases take the total number of infections here to 1,203. 
Over the next couple of weeks, Hong Kong will discuss with Thailand plans to set up a travel bubble to allow people who are free of COVID-19 to pass between the two places without the need for quarantine. A cross-departmental group led by the Tourism Commissioner will start negotiations soon. Commerce Secretary Edward Yao says Hong Kong and Thailand have been able to control the coronavirus outbreak and both sides hope an agreement can be reached soon to help with the economic recovery. More than 100,000 low-income families will be able to start applying for a one-off living subsidy from the Community Care Fund from Thursday. The handout was announced by the Financial Secretary last year and is aimed at helping those not living in public housing or receiving welfare payments. A single-person household can get $4,500, while a family of four can receive $14,500. The government says the number of people applying for the handout is likely to be higher than it originally expected, given the current economic downturn. Here's the welfare chief, Lo Chi Kuang. It is indeed possible because of the economic downturn that can be more household becoming eligible. That is possible. If that is the case, we will know that situation very quickly. And then if there is any need for increasing the budget, we'll go back to the Commission of Poverty to deal with it. But that is quite likely. Turning overseas, Baloch separatists who were behind an assault on the Chinese consulate in Karachi two years ago say they carried out a daring attack on the Pakistan stock exchange in Karachi, killing four people. All four assailants were shot dead. The BBC's Sekunda Kamani has more on how the bloodshed unfolded. They were carrying automatic weapons and grenades. They tried to gain entry to the main stock exchange building. At least two security guards and one policeman were killed trying to prevent them from doing so. It's unclear whether any of the attackers actually managed to get inside the main building or not. We've also been getting reports from local police officials that they found food amongst the belongings of the dead militants, suggesting that they were perhaps planning on trying to hold people hostage. A report by the World Organization Against Torture has detailed what it says is the deliberate killing of children by the security services in the Philippines. It documents the deaths of 122 youngsters aged 1 to 17. Here's the BBC's Imogen Folks. The report is based on evidence from families, witnesses and official documents relating to the killings. In nearly all cases, the report says the children were killed by police or by groups affiliated to them. The UN Human Rights Council, which begins meeting in Geneva on Tuesday, is expected to discuss the Philippines. However, President Duterte's government says it is already fulfilling its obligations to prosecute human rights violators. A court in Paris has sentenced the former French Prime Minister François Fillon to five years in prison, three of them suspended for paying his wife taxpayers' money for bogus work as his parliamentary assistant. From Paris, the BBC's Hugh Schofield. In its ruling, the court said that no one during the trial had been able to shed light on what Mrs. Fior had actually done to earn the money. Mr. Fior had put private gain over public good, it said, and failed in his duty to probity as a public figure. Mr. Fior was favourite to win the 2017 presidential race when his campaign was scuppered by revelations over his wife's payments. He and his lawyers remain convinced there was a politically orchestrated campaign to bring him down, a claim that gained some credence two weeks ago when France's former chief financial prosecutor, said that in early 2017 she'd come under pressure from her superiors to speed up the investigations into the candidate. 
Iran has issued an arrest warrant for U.S. President Donald Trump over the killing of the top Iranian commander, General Qasem Soleimani. He was the target of an American airstrike in Baghdad in January. The BBC's Alan Johnston reports. The Iranians say Mr. Trump and more than 30 other people face murder and terrorism charges in connection with the death of General Soleimani. Iran has asked Interpol for help in detaining the suspects. But the agency is extremely unlikely to want to get involved in a highly political case of this kind. The issuing of the arrest warrant will amount to little more than a symbolic gesture. But it is one more reflection of the depth of animosity felt towards President Trump by Iran's leadership. To sports, the FA Cup final four picture has now been set. Chelsea will battle Manchester United, while Manchester City take on Arsenal. Pep Guardiola's City side advanced thanks to a 2-0 win over Newcastle. Yeah, first we are in semi-final. Uh, it was not easy to attack against uh, defenders so, so deep. But uh, yeah, with solid performance, we can sit few. And, and uh, yeah, happy to, to be back to, to London. Now... In the Premier League, we struggle a little bit to be, you know, to focus. We play for qualification. Champions League is not done, but we are close. We need the two victories. Uh, but of course, now the cup in the Champions League, if I cup in Champions, it's a little bit different. For the fact that uh, being Wembley again, we are were the the winners last season. We are in the semi-final again, so that's so good. In Spain, Real Madrid have gone two points clear at the top of La Liga thanks to a 1-0 win over Espanyol. They've overtaken Barcelona, who dropped points on Saturday with only a draw against Celta Vigo. In golf, Dustin Johnson has ended a long drought by winning the PGA Tour's Travelers' Championship. The big-hitting American closed with a three-under par 67 to beat Kevin Streelman by one shot at River Highlands in Connecticut. Johnson last won in Mexico City in March of last year. He's now won at least one title in 13 consecutive PGA Tour seasons. Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer have each won in 17 consecutive years. The NFL's New England Patriots are close to signing the league's former most valuable player, Cam Newton, as replacement at quarterback for Tom Brady. Reports say a one-year deal worth $7.5 million US million has been agreed. The Patriots have been without NFL experience in the quarterback position ahead of training camp. Newton played nine seasons with the Carolina Panthers before leaving in March. He was the league's MVP for the 2015 season and led the Panthers to the Super Bowl before losing to the Denver Broncos. A reminder of our top stories tonight. The passing of national security legislation is now imminent. Beijing announces visa restrictions against certain U.S. individuals. And a teenager is jailed for two years and eight months for possessing petrol bombs. The news from RTHK. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's Newswrap programme. The government says the number of people applying for a one-off subsidy is likely to be higher than originally expected because of the current economic downturn. From Thursday, more than 100,000 low-income families will be able to apply for the payment from the Community Care Fund. Labour Party lawmaker Fernando Jung told Jim Gould that the payment of $4,500 for a single-person household and $14,500 for a family of four is hardly enough. Rentals are still running high. The payment would probably pay for maybe a month and a half rental for them. 
but then we're talking about a very severe unemployment situation. Many of the low-income families are suffering from uh, lack of work. Uh, many of them are not working as much. Uh, their work hours got cut back, although they may not be laid off completely because of the need to keep their positions in order for the employers to get the extra subsidies from the government. So, but in the end, uh, they may not benefit from um, these subsidies. So this and nothing subsidy would help a little, but it wouldn't be enough, I'm afraid. It will be uh, in addition to a $10,000 payout for many people, wouldn't it? Yes, but that $10,000 would take some time. Uh, they just begun to accept applications uh, days ago. And uh, we would expect that this nothing uh, and nothing subsidy should come sooner. And it would be very important for them to get to this money. Uh, it's really an urgent matter. So do you think the number of people eligible will be uh, higher than had been expected? Well, I think the numbers would be about right. Usually, the government overestimates the uh, beneficiaries' numbers. Given the experience we had in the past uh, years, in fact, the end nothing subsidy uh, happened several times before, but that was also stopped in 2016 for four years. And we're glad that it comes back this year. But it is unfortunate that the government did not promise to regularize this subsidy. Remember, we're talking about people who are not qualified for any welfare payments, who are not living in public housing, and they are in the low-income bracket. Uh, these are the people uh, that we should help out, especially those who many of them are working families. So we think that this program should have been regularized a long time ago. And is there any further support that you would like to see for this group of people? Well, if the uh, subsidy for the low-income working families can be further improved and that the connection between the work hours and the subsidy for the children in these uh, low-income families could be detached, then hopefully we will see the subsidies going to support children would be more stable and uh, regular. A new animal exhibition centre featuring meerkats and giant tortoises will open at Ocean Park this week as the struggling theme park tries to turn over a new leaf under new chairman Lao Ming Wai. Jimmy Choi has the story. The incoming Ocean Park chairman is taking over at a time when the theme park is perhaps facing its greatest challenges amid falling visitor numbers and strong regional competition. Just days before he officially takes the helm, Lao Mingwai says he expects to have his hands full in the coming year, trying to turn things around. He says he'll work with the government to come up with plans to reposition the cash-strapped amusement park. The coming 12 months and beyond will be extremely challenging for the park, whether it's the park's financial conditions or the local economy or COVID-19 or the global tourism market. Ocean Park will be facing a multitude of challenges, and the only way we can overcome these challenges and create a sustainable future for the park is if our staff, our management, our board are united and work together to provide the best experience for our guests. 
The park's incoming chief executive, Yizan Chen, says her priorities are to boost the morale of staff, enhance visitors' experience, and keep pursuing the park's mission to conserve the nature and educate the public. Timothy Ng, an executive director of the park, says ticket sales have been strong since the park reopened about two weeks ago. He says Ocean Park is gradually doubling its daily capacity, from 9,000 to 18,000 visitors, adding that most of the tickets for July have been snapped up. In the last two weeks, we are very pleased to see that the guests, the, the people of Hong Kong, they are very uh, excited to come back to the park. Uh, as we can see that the uh, pre-registration system has been booked up in, in just uh, uh, four days after we launched, launched the, uh, the first phase of the, uh, the, the booking system. Uh, and then uh, we did the second phase in about two weeks' time and it pretty much got booked up. We, we still have a few days left. Uh, however, we can see that we're pleased to see that the people of Hong Kong, they are really enjoying coming back to the park. Meanwhile, Ocean Park has announced that it will open a new animal exhibition centre, housing 20 meerkats and two giant tortoises on Wednesday. The park has named three meerkat pups as Charles, Jeff and Yan, after carrying out a public naming poll online. Ocean Park hopes the new 800-square-metre facility will help raise people's awareness about animal conservation. A separatist group from Balochistan says it carried out a deadly attack on the Pakistan Stock Exchange in Karachi. RTHK South Asia correspondent Murali Krishnan told Anne-Marie Evans that despite the bloodshed, a much bigger attack appears to have been averted. I think what was staged out here in Karachi, which is Pakistan's financial center and home to the Pakistan State Bank, as well as several other national and international financial institutions, is basically something which is highly symbolic. Uh, the fact that gunmen could enter a high security zone despite the kind of security paraphernalia which continues to uh, exist out here, they were trying to prove a point. And I think that has been established by, by the four armed gunmen who stormed in a pretty much a meticulous operation. They apparently, while they were in a firefight with security personnel, what they recovered, the security personnel, was dry fruits as well as food items, which seemed to indicate that they were there for the long haul. Uh, and obviously that is quite worrisome, uh, uh, the fact that they thought they could possibly uh, stake out the place for a longer period than usual. And uh, I think that this is a, 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 that's the largest, a larger important message which goes out through. And, and this attack, uh, it comes more than a week after a grenade was thrown at the line of people waiting out uh, at a government welfare office in the city. At that particular incident, uh, one, one person was killed and eight others. So, the, I mean, uh, this is something which, has to, uh, which is worrying the security establishment out here, uh, uh, considering the, the daring nature of this attack. Now, can you tell me a, bit, a little bit more about Balochistan and the Balok Liberation Army that conducted this attack? Well, this is something. Uh, well, the the uh, the Pakistan the Sindh uh, Rangers uh, Director General uh, Umar Ahmad Bukhari he has said that in a press conference just a short while back that a tweet had been posted in which the attack has been attributed to the Balochistan Liberation Army. Uh, the BLA, as we know, um, is is is, uh, is 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 a is an organisation. Uh, it's apparently one particular brigade of this called the Majid Brigade. They apparently have, take, have taken responsibility. This is a, Armed 
insurgent group which advocates for independence of Balochistan pr- province from Pakistan. And uh, the critics of the Pakistani government have always said that Sindh and Balochistan provinces are being governed by like colonies. And this has given rise to uh, uh, this particular outfit called the Balochistan Liberation Army. There have been allegations that the Baloch insurgents are being supported and trained by Indian intelligence agencies. And, uh, and therefore, the authorities are now taking an action against those who could possibly be involved in it. Uh, given the fact that the BLA is not the first time that it has staged such an attack like this, what, what seems to sort of really uh, get the security agencies thinking that this is the BLA is because in 2018, uh, the, uh, uh, members of this particular outfit tried to storm the Chinese consulate in Karachi. Uh, uh, in Karachi. At that time, they killed at least four people. So uh, it has all these sort of signature marks of this organization. Uh, the BLA is seeking more pol- uh, political autonomy for the province. And, uh, and, but then, however, uh, this is a long-standing demand. Both Balistan is a very sparsely populated region. And, uh, and they are believed to be have hideouts in the southeastern Afghanistan as well, the insurgents. So this is a long-standing problem, which uh, a political problem, which I think the political, uh, the, uh, the establishment in, in Pakistan, Imran, Prime Minister Imran Khan, will have to deal with. But they are a force to reckon with, and they stage spectacular attacks like this, as what we saw at the, Kar- the Karachi exchange uh, on Monday morning. Over half a million have now lost their lives as a result of the pandemic, more than 128,000 of them in the United States. The number of COVID-19 cases in the U.S. has been leaping by more than 40,000 a day for the past few days, one of the largest surges in the world. RTHK's Washington correspondent, Barry Wood, told Mike Weeks the health crisis in the country is getting rapidly worse. It is extraordinary. We had 9,000 cases in Florida alone on Saturday. So yes, it's getting much worse. And again, just to repeat those global figures, if you have 10 million infected around the world, 25%, 25% of those are in the United States. And out of deaths, we have 128,000 dead in the United States. And it's getting worse. And I have to say, Mike, that a lot of this has to do with what the various 50 states see as a confusing message from the president. The president himself does not wear a mask. He had a rally in Tulsa in which people were, some people were told to take off their mask as they went in. So this is, in one sense, a very clear lack of presidential leadership. We're not talking about testing. We're not talking about uh, hospitalizations and the preparations with all the protective gear. That, that seems to have been addressed effectively. But we don't have any leadership from the president in terms of how people should go about their daily lives. And that mixed message, I think, uh, has been exemplified, hasn't it, by Vice President Mike Pence, who tried to sound a note of optimism about the surge in coronavirus cases over the weekend, but then cancelled campaign events in Florida and Arizona. Yes, exactly. I mean, look, we've only had two states that had a declining rate of infection, both of them tiny in the Northeast, Rhode Island and Connecticut. 
The rest of the country, the cases go up. And where Pence was going to go, the cases were going up very sharply. So this problem, in which we've got, ironically, some of the best scientists in the world, we are a big country, but compare what has happened in China, compare what has happened in Hong Kong, South Korea, and even Europe to what's happening here in the United States. Clearly, President Trump took a gamble. It was obvious a month ago, and he went for opening. He thought that if you could get the economy back because you couldn't let the economy slowly die, things would get better. You get this herd infection that uh, means that people were somewhat immune to the infection. But so far, at this stage, Mike, it's not working. And another point on this, we have this coronavirus task force from the White House. Very respected people, Tony Fauci, Deborah Birx, both very respected physicians and epidemiologists. They met on Friday, not at the White House, but at the Health and Human Services Building, it had not taken place any briefing from those two for one month. Now we have a briefing. So, yeah, I regret to say that it's getting worse. And bars are being closed again now. What, what other actions are states taking to try and head off this increase? Well, you've got 50 different states with 50 different approaches. Here in Washington, it's quite interesting. You've got three states right together, or at least the district plus Maryland and, and Virginia. What about athletic clubs? What about bars? What about restaurants? Now, they do try to make these three entities compatible, but they're not. In Michigan, for example, athletic clubs are still closed. Gyms are closed. You can't swim in the oceans in Florida, in Miami. So we've got a mix of regulations that confuse people, in particular travelers. And another thing that's very regrettable here in the States, you don't have any system of contact tracing. You know, look what happened in Beijing and how the authorities went after. They could test where people had been. All you have to do here in the States is have someone say, oh, no, I don't want to be having my phone uh, looked at to see where I've been. And essentially, nothing happens. Those stories were part of the Newswrap program, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Todd Harding from our newsroom. Hi, I'm Lazy Lion. To fight this pandemic, take preventive measures when commuting. Avoid rush hours and busy times and take advantage of flexible working hours. Wear a mask when taking a ride. If possible, open the windows to ventilate the vehicle. Clean your hands with liquid soap and water or alcohol-based hand rub after using public transport or touching public facilities. Social distancing can help prevent the spread of COVID-19. Tips for you and me to prevent COVID-19. Live across Hong Kong. This is Radio 3. January to December. We'll have moments to remember. 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 to remember Ray Cudero with you from now until 1am with our kind of music
perennial favorite from Johnny Pearson and his orchestra, The Green Leaves of Summer. Only the best for you from now until 1 a.m. familiar voice. Welcome to my world. Won't you come on in? Step into my heart 